Tonight, the reading of Scripture will be from the book of Colossians. This is the Word of God given to us for our strengthening in grace in Christ Jesus, words to be received in the heart that all come from the Lord, of His inspiration and of His instruction. These opening verses in this chapter, Colossians 3. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ appears, who is your life, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Father, we would pray now that you would continue to make us students and disciples of your word. Remember Peter's statement from a long time ago, Lord, where shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We pray for that, dear Father. Help us and help me. Lord, together in your word, that we be instructed of your spirit, encouraged and guided. Take us, dear Father. There are, there are a range of needs represented tonight, Lord, and, and you alone are our shepherd. Lead us into those green pastures. We ask your presence here now and your ministry in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. When I typically read the Bible at home, I, I oftentimes have, you know, sort of default ways of reading the Word. I don't know about you, but I will oftentimes uh, ask the Lord for a promise that might be there in the Scriptures to, you know, to cleave to, uh, to cling to. Uh, sometimes uh, it's a commandment that I see. I see, a, you know, I see a, an action word, some, some form of a command that we are to follow. Um, sometimes, particularly in the storyline of scriptures, I'll see an example that, you know, here's a man, here's a woman of the Lord, and, and we'll, take, we'll take note of the example. I don't know about you, but that's, those are some of the ways I, I, I think I have a default way of approaching the reading of scripture. In the Reformed faith, we, we like to expand on those things. We, we like to get away. That's, that's misleading. We like to add to our default ways of reading. Uh, we, we like to expand upon our Bible reading that we read covenantally. That's, that's a different way of approaching Bible reading. Uh, to read covenantally is to be reading with a promise and fulfillment lens. A promise and a fulfillment lens. You know, the Bible has the two main sections. Let's start here, the two very main sections. Uh, we, we have here, my left hand being the Old Testament and the right being the New Testament, the two big sections of the Scriptures. And many tell us to read your Bible covenantally is to read it in a way that the first part, the Old Testament, will speak. That's God's voice. And, and the second part is equally God's voice, but we might see it as a response to 
the Old Testament. What is said in the old can be a response in the new. What is said in the old as largely promise, for we know that that, that line that is being traced of the story of the redeeming grace of God through his son Jesus is going to find fulfillment in the new. And so to read covenantally is to be reading the Bible with that kind of unity in mind. What is spoken in the old is oftentimes going to have commentary, expansion, a color, a texture, reference, an illusion, maybe even, even just a little part of a scripture in the new that's reflecting back on the old, but it's all to say that God is speaking as the God who promises and the God who keeps promises. Now, for some, that may be new. And for probably all of us in the room, we have to continue to train ourselves to be reading the Bible that way. Paul is actually in in so many ways, helping us in these opening verses to be remembering the covenant with our God. That he's a God who makes promises and he's the God who brings fulfillment of those promises. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Now, we're accustomed, when we start thinking about reading the Bible covenantally, to be thinking about chronology. I just did that right now in some illustrations. Tracing the line of history and chronology back here in Genesis and finding its fulfillment over here in the New Testament and on into the letters of Paul and so on and so forth. We typically think of chronology. But Paul is using some spatial terms to get at the same thought to get at words about timing or an age. Here, here are some words we often hear. At the right time, right? In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. Jesus said that as well. The time is fulfilled, right? Remember that. He, the time is fulfilled. Uh, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Timing. So it's, it might be, again, more, you know, simple for us, rightly simple, profoundly simple in that sense, to be looking at words of timing. But Paul gets at it here looking at words of, of direction or space or location. So tonight what I want to do is at least begin to introduce for us this evening that as we continue in this ser- uh, these series of sermons on sonship and being a daughter of the king, a daughter of the Most High God, that we must be living in the promise fulfillment orientation that is presented in the scriptures. The promise fulfillment orientation presented in the scriptures. And another way of saying that, living in that promise fulfillment orientation, is to be living in the already of the gospel, right? The already. God has, he's launched this onset, (laughs) He's launched it. And to be a growing son in the family of God, to be a growing daughter in the family of God, we must live with that orientation. The already of the gospel, the onset has arrived. 
We'll see, we have some time tonight uh, to look at the second point, and that's more about Christ himself. We just may hold off and come back to that next week, but let's see how far we get. But keep in mind, the, the point I'd like to drive home tonight is that growing as sons and daughters, here we are, God's plan is oriented to this fulfillment, forward-looking orientation. It's the already of the gospel. He is the God who is faithful to his promises, and he's brought his promises to fulfillment in his son Jesus. And we are to live in that light. So let's get started here. I'd like you to look at these spatial terms once again to start thinking through the matter of the promise and fulfillment orientation. If then you've been raised, verse 1, if then if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. See those words where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and set your mind on things above. And now we have a contrast, not on things that are on earth. And if you pick up verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Certainly the assumption of verse 4 is, is at least, we would, we would say, is it's, it's prospective, it's looking ahead, it's giving the before perspective, right now, Paul is telling us Christ will return when he appears. So you have at least um, sort of the, the three concepts of seek the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the God of the Father. And then he says, set your mind on things above. So he repeats that. <laughs> and then he brings the contrast, as we've said. Do not set your mind on things upon the earth below. And then it reminds us Christ is going to return from above to come and gather his children and take them forever to be with him. And that's to say, when he, appear, when he appears, you will also appear with him in glory. That eternal state of being with the Father forever and ever in glory. Again, what we're stressing here is that we are accustomed to seeing words like at the right time. We are accustomed to saying in, seeing words in this age. And, and those are words that we would think, you know, in terms of chronology and history. Paul is doing the same here, I want to propose to you. But he's using the spatial language, locations, to tell us about something. That is to say, if we are to um, seek the things that are above where Christ is, that means Christ has come to fulfill his appointed service of his righteous life, his atoning death, being buried in the tomb, raised on the third day, and then what? Ascended to his Father's right hand. These, these remarkable, you know, historical features of the work of his saving grace have happened. And Paul is using this language, now he's above. The age and the time that God has appointed, he's brought to fulfillment. You follow that? So it's spatial language telling us the time is fulfilled. At the right time, God sent forth his son to be born of a woman, right? Jesus came preaching, the kingdom of uh, the time is fulfilled. All that language. 
Now, all I'm saying so far is we are accustomed to this language of timing, and Paul's getting at the same thing, but using language of places and spaces. <laughs> things above, he says it again, things above, and then things on earth. So God's plan is this fulfillment, orientation, this forward-looking orientation. Now, if you remember, way back, I'm going to say probably probably early August, mid-August, um, we spent some time kind of wringing out. We've wrung out a lot in the Gospel of John, haven't we? <laughs> right? We've we spent some time in the Gospel of John. But in John 16, 28, remember those words we started out really way back. These are, this is the upper room discourse. It's amazing to think, too, before Jesus goes to John 17 and prays, before he goes to pray you know, for his disciples and to pray for his church, pray for his disciples' ministry, that they might be one as the Father and the Son are one. Remember those prayers. At the very end of 16, that's 17, at the very end of 16, he summarizes again this epochal work that he has brought, these epochs. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and I'm now leaving the world and going to the Father. Remember that verse? We spent some time with that verse. And this is the same language that the mission of our great God was that he would promise to send his son. He would appoint his son from all eternity to be Savior and Lord, Master and King. And Jesus is echoing that he's, he's actually carried out this plan of promise. And it's these words here, I came from the Father and I've come into the world. And now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. That passage really, John 16, 20, is not far removed from even what we're looking at in the book of Colossians. Um, so very, very similar. So these epochal events are underscored in the Bible. Let me just review a few of the promises in Scripture that we see now fulfilled in Jesus. Remember, he's the promised seed of the woman, Genesis 3.15. Remember that. He's the promised seed of the woman, that long-awaited son of Adam who would crush Satan's head, Genesis 3.15. He is the descendant of Abraham, through whom every nation on earth would be blessed. The descendant of Abraham being the blessing to the nations. He is the son of Judah at the very end of the book of Genesis. The son of Judah, that, that royalty tribe, right? It's the royalty tribe. And he reigns as eternal king. This is the Lord Jesus. Remember, Judah is in the line there. He's the Passover lamb. Let's skip over to the book of Exodus now. He's the Passover lamb who was slain to protect God's people from that angel of death. John the Baptist will call him the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the greater son of Israel. Remember, God will speak in the book of Exodus. Out of Egypt I've called my son. That's speaking of the nation. But the Bible looks back on that verse of a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the greater son named Israel who came out of Egypt. He's the great redeemer who brings his people out of bondage and slavery. 
He's the true bread from heaven. Remember there in the wilderness scenes. The people are, are hungry. And he's the true bread that's provided for nourishment. He's the rock from which uh, comes that life-giving water. He'll say to that. He'll say that in John chapter 7. That from Christ will flow streams of living water. Speaking of his spirit, he would come and rest and be abide with the church. These are just a few, right? A few of, of, of the hundreds of promises in Scripture. All reminding us of that promised thread of redemption that Jesus would come and it would be fulfilled in his person. And Paul is saying, set your mind on things above. That's what he's saying in Colossians. Live with that forward-looking orientation of the already. (laughs) Of the already. That God has been gracious and faithful to fulfill his promise of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how does the Bible actually punctuate this truth? The way the Bible punctuates this truth that God has been the promise-keeping God and the already has arrived is that all of these lessons back here at Genesis 3.15, the one who would be born of that seed of the woman to crush the serpent's head, on down through the various promises as we've just rehearsed them a bit from late in the book of Genesis on into the early parts of Exodus, skipping down to all the lessons about Leviticus and Numbers, like even in in Numbers, the brazen serpent that would be raised upon that rod, that staff, right? That only a mere look would bring healing. The very serpents that are around them bringing disease, there would be one to be struck upon the staff who is a serpent himself. That's to say, like unto the poison, he would become the poison for God's people. That's to say, he would be the blood sacrifice. He would be the one judged to bring life. All of these lessons. When you get into the prophetic literature, the prophets, they begin to use these words that in the last days, such things will be fulfilled. And that's how the Bible punctuates this fulfillment language. Things of a righteous Savior things of the condemnation that one would come and be at Calvary's cross for the sins of men, things of actual dying, that this would be one who would indeed expire, take the judgment for sin, not merely the blood sacrifice upon the cross to be the sacrifice, but the actual, to, to be the one to pay the price, the penalty, the wages of sin is death. The matter of being buried in the tomb. The matter of then being raised on the third day, that first Easter where he was raised from the dead. The Bible begins, here's the point, the Bible begins to speak of those things, that those things are going to happen in the last days. (laughs) Those are the last things to happen. Those, Those are the latter day things. Those are the things at the very end that Israel is to expect to happen. Death and judgment and condemnation and sacrifice, and forgiveness. 
receiving wrath, as Christ did, being buried in the tomb. On the third day to rise again from the dead. Those are all last things. Those last things are the fulfillment. They've happened now. And so the Bible punctuates this language that what would be expected to happen on the last day. Forgiveness and a standing with God and that death would be judged and so on and so forth has happened now here through the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul is declaring, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are in the one who's received in his own body these last days judgment. That's why you have this language here. Go back to the Colossians chapter uh, chapter 3, verse 1. If then you've been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. The fulfillment has happened. The already of judgment, condemnation, death, and burial, resurrection, ascension has happened. Life eternal has now been inaugurated. And Paul is saying, this is where you are to live. Do not look for these things upon the earth anymore. Place your eyes on Jesus Christ who has come. So why study this lesson? Why study this lesson about faithful Bible reading being promise fulfillment oriented? Why study this lesson about faithful Bible reading in terms of the last things have now dawned? Will it be reserved only for the eternal state have entered into history and now dawned? Why study our Bibles this way, particularly about sonship and being a daughter of the king? Because our God is faithful. I told Peggy today, let me give you an example now. I told Peggy today that, you know what? I think I can handle having our apartment while you're still over caring for mom. But now that the apartment is gone, <laughs> I feel like life is really in disarray. Really in disarray. <laughs> okay. Now, here's my point. We can often think that life is nothing but a big maze in disarray. We've already said tonight, you look at our country, you look at these atrocities, uh, you look at the aftermath of things like the midterm elections. Uh, we all have uh, matters going on in our homes or extended families. And it can seem like it's, it's, there's no rhyme or reason as to what, what is happening. Who's in control? Who's leading? Who's guiding? Who's faithful? Is there any rock where there is strength? Any place where the anchor might be lowered and in fact it's anchored there with stability? Please remember in this, 
in this rehearsing of the Old Testament, we stand with the people of God of old way back in the days of Israel. Was life at times a maze? What end is up? Will he provide for us? I, I, I thought it was coming this way and on this particular day. Uh, times of grumbling and complaining and murmuring, we say. Um, times where a leader is taken suddenly. Lord, we, we, we thought he was going to be the one to deliver. And that would get echo in Jesus' own life. Uh, why all these ups and downs? Why this maze of life? The comfort is our God takes this mystery of this maze of life and he is working his purposes to remain faithful to us. And he provides the Lord Jesus Christ. Our God is faithful. His word cannot be broken. Our God generally, generously provides. He gives us himself the Lord Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. Our God sets within his purposes. He sets us within his purposes to be gathered to be his people. He gathers us as his own. He separates us unto himself. Our God lavishes on us the fullness of his salvation. We do not see salvation in shadows, but it's in its reality. And the grand hope of these last things, this grand hope, has dawned. And it's, it's the constant matter that the Apostle Paul continues to bring us back to. Remember whose you are. His mighty hand has grasped your hand. And he's the God who, who grasps your hand with his almighty power, his loving faithfulness, and he will carry you all the way home. And this already of salvation is that security in which we stand. I have in my notes here as we close... We are to be setting our hearts upon things above, orienting, orienting our lives according to our Father's provision in His Son's work. We are to be His sons and daughters because we're in His hand that will never fail. He's always faithful. We'll expand on this next time and, and keep working with that, but... Um, our faith rests in Jesus who came at the right time to be our Savior. Let's pray. Our Lord and our Heavenly Father, uh, we would ask that you would give us this lens um, through which we would continue to look at your word and to look at life itself in that you are the promise-making and promise-keeping God. 
We bless your holy name for the fulfillment orientation that your gift of salvation has come to us in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, it, it is final. It is complete. Uh, Lord, um, you have spoken to us in your Son here in these last days. May it be, Father, that encouragement that you are our faithful God would truly be grasped in our hearts. That full security that you cherish us, you delight in us, because Christ has accomplished it all. Thank you for your faithfulness. We pray your blessing, we pray your nurturing, your strengthening in our lives. In Christ's name, amen.